Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got Jim Yelborough. Coach Yelborough and I spent a little time together at the college um, during my years when I was playing there. And uh, interviewing a lot of college coaches, we talk about their relationships and the, the, the influence uh, assistant coaches have with team players. And obviously, we had a great relationship with all of my assistant coaches there. Um, also, we also, in the interview, we talked about um, the evolution of the student athlete um, from high school, to college, uh, and then a professional level. And being a head coach as well, Coach Elbrow had a great success in his, his tenure as a, as head coach in two different colleges. So um, great wealth of knowledge and um, just ready to get into the interview. Hey, Coach. Yeah. Long time. <laughs> yeah, it has been. It has been. Good, good. So, um, yeah, I know everybody's busy. And, um, you know, with our podcast, we just try to, um, you know, get the word, get the view from different, you know, uh, collegiate athletes, uh, coaches, you know, players, and trying to just build that wealth of knowledge through this audio sound here. So sure. I appreciate sure. you, you know, coming on and, and oh, taking time to come on. Coach. I, I appreciate you thinking of me and reaching out. It's, it's, it's a pleasure. It's great. Very, Definitely. very good. Definitely. So we get right into it, Coach. You know, uh, one of the things we like to – you know, take our audience way back um, to where it first started, you know, like um, what, what were, you know, your, your, your playing days, your playing time in the rec areas, what programs, you know, were you in that kind of really, you know, sparked the interest uh, for, the, for the sport? Oh, I, I fell in love with basketball uh, in fifth grade uh, and then really totally in love with it, addicted to it by sixth grade. Um, I was, um, there wasn't a lot of programming in around my neighborhood. My, my parents had just moved us into this new neighborhood and they were just a struggling couple trying to, you know, create a, a good life. And I was going to this little school and uh, there was a youth center nearby, but there wasn't a lot of programming going on. And I loved sports. So I was kind of really trying to figure out what I was going to do. Was I going to play baseball? What was I going to do? And we had this wonderful gentleman who came into our school when I was in the fifth grade named Chris Rao, Mr. Rao, Coach Rao. Mm -hmm. And he was from Long Island, New York. And he had uh, played at a small college up in New York. And he had coached at Long Island Lutheran, which had a pretty good tradition. And they'd had some very good players who'd gone on to St. John's. And so when he came down as a teacher, he and his wife, they were kind of shocked there was no sports going on. So he, by himself, said, and you kind of know this, when you get a mentor, someone who really cares, who comes into your community, whether it's your school or your neighborhood and says, I'll do this. For sure. And he 
just created this whole, you know, we played a little bit of football, we played basketball, we played, we ran track, we created everything you could based on our facilities. Um, and I wasn't very good at it, although I, I, I loved it. And, but in the sixth grade, I started to kind of have a little bit of an affinity to handle the ball a little bit better than everybody else. And I worked, he had a checklist, you have to do this to be able to pass and dribble. And I tried very hard to do that. And that was the beginning of the programming. And then in sixth grade, I, I had a tournament game at the end of the season that I scored 12 points in about four minutes in the fourth quarter and won the game. Wow. And my teammates carried me off and trust me, it wasn't very good competition, but, but for me at that moment, sure. that was, that was big. And I thought, Oh, I love basketball. That's it. This is what I'm doing. And from that moment on, anything I could do going to camps or, you know, trying out or working on my own or getting a goal in the backyard or going to a park, I was just trying to do everything I could to get better as be as well as I could. So did you, um, did you, would you let him in, in high school? Did you play in high school? I played in high school. Um, I did play in high school. I was the only freshman to make the JV team uh, my first year. Uh, I started as a JV player. And then I, you may or may not remember, I, I had a pretty serious surgery. I had a heart ailment that needed to be repaired my junior year of high school. So I didn't play, but I came back and played my senior year uh, and, and became obviously at that point healthy and better. I didn't even know that I had this issue and it could have been quite dangerous, but I was fortunate. But that was a long time ago. And when I look back now, I'm thinking, thank God they could do that then. Um, uh, but it kind of took me off the path. I had these big plans and dreams to be a college athlete. And I just wasn't going to do that. I was a pretty good high school player. But as I went off to college, I kept thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get from here to here? I don't have any pedigree. I don't have any connections. And um, so in college, toward the end, Pat Kennedy came in as the new coach at FSU. And at that point, I transferred from junior college to, to FSU. And and I approached them about getting helping in some way. And so I worked a camp. Hmm. I worked their team camp. They had me basically go get coffee for the assistant coaches or I refereed a few games. And it just got me around it enough that I was kind of seeing how things worked. And so when I graduated from college, I was still very much trying to do it. I took a job in the private sector. I lasted about three months. And I said, no, this is not what I want to do. And uh, I was in Jacksonville, Florida at the time. Right. And that, and that I, I just opened the phone book and I was looking for schools and I was going to substitute teach. I was going to figure out a way to do this. And the bowl school in Jacksonville, which is a pretty prominent private school there and has had right. many great athletes. Chipper Jones played there and a great hall of fame baseball player and many other football players. They've had great football but um, D Brown, who won the dunk contest with his pump up, you know, up. He, yeah. he played there. Um, so I got into this world quite by accident. I called up and I became the eighth grade coach and the varsity assistant. And that's where it all began from there. And I was very lucky to just start to have people in my life that cared about basketball. And I took that passion I'd had in my youth and started turning it into being a teacher of right. the game. And, so, and it's amazing how you know, and just, just talking to uh, people that are students of this game from all walks of life, there's always that one person, you know, that that mentor, whether it's a father figure, com, you know, community guy or neighbor, what have you, that really is responsible for that interest, and that, that spark plug, right? Absolutely. Um, and you talk about 
you know, in your college days trying to figure it out. And um, I think, and I read in your bio, you, you spent a little stint at a, a AAU program before getting, going into college. Can you tell us about that and, you know, how that, how, how that was effective? The AAU actually came right at the end of college when I got on it at Bowles. I was a young coach. I was 23 at the time. And I was trying to just to get into everything I could. And this doctor who had, he was in a wheelchair, but he was a local pathologist. His kids went there, but he loved basketball. He was crazy. And I mean that in a complimentary, fun, loving way. He was just right. a barrel of fun. All Everybody loved him, but he was just, but he had no ability to coach the game, but he had this all-star vision, Team Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So he approached me and said, hey, would you like to work with us? And I'm like, sure. I don't, you know, anything I could do to coach basketball. And 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 at that time, AAU was just, it wasn't where it is today. It was right about, it was about to begin, but it was, there was Team Florida. And then all of a sudden, maybe you had a group out of Jacksonville, Orlando, Miami, and Pensacola. And these are little offshoot teams there was literally like five teams in the state qualifying for a national tournament and i didn't really know much about it the only experience i'd ever had is the end of my senior year of high school they needed some local players to scrimmage against team florida who was practicing in st petersburg where i grew up so i got to go in as one scrimmage and that was like my last gasp in high school before i i figured i wasn't going to play anymore so I didn't, I knew team Florida had a bunch of good players. That's all I knew. Well, I got into that scene for the next three years. And what's interesting in connecting you and me back to all of this, one of the young men who didn't have a college offer who played on our first team Jacksonville team was a young man named Rusty Palmer <laughs> and, and Rusty Palmer. Wow. This guy named coach Cress and coach Dwayne Grace came to this big tournament we were in and watched us for several days. And, you know, coach Cress, who obviously we both know and love right. was talking to me and, and I got to know them and they really liked Rusty. So in July, after his senior year, he got an offer to go to then NAIA school college of Charleston. Well, while he was there, they transitioned to division one, his fifth year, I guess he redshirted his fifth year at Charleston. He was a captain on the first NCAA team at the college wow. of Charleston. Wow. And so I had that connection with Rusty and just having him on the team and getting to know him. He played at West Nassau High School, which is on the Florida Georgia line, north of Jacksonville. And he was a great young guy and went on to have a very good career. So the AAU thing started opening up the idea of, oh, there are players out there. And yeah, right, there's right. a young guy in South Georgia and a kid here, he could play on our team. And it all started to click for me. It was a wonderful experience. It was really great for a young guy, 23, 24, 25. Right. And so, like you say, just, just being at the right place at the right time, having a good work ethic, things kind of morphed into, you know, what, you know, where, where you are right now. Um, yes. But I want to ask you about, you know, just as far as your experience when you got into coaching and what, what, uh, what changed um, happened from you going from high school, AAU to the, to the college scene. I know, you, did you coach somewhere prior, uh, prior to the College of Charleston, West Florida? Yep. Right. right. But what from that high school uh, era or uh, uh, platform to the college, what what's the uh, change in there? What's what's the difference? You know, from being a coach, what do you think that's that's the challenging differences? Well, I I think is a when you go to the next level, there's just a 
you, you try not to think about it or you don't even early on think about it, but it, there's a new level of pressure. Your job is riding on things and that becomes more apparent really when you become a head coach. As an assistant, you're just along for the ride and I was fortunate to be in good places that were enjoying success. And, um, but I, I think it's just a larger scope, you know, when you're at your high school and you're, in some cases, you're basically taking whoever comes through the door. Right. Uh, you might have some kids, if your program's doing well, the reputation, they might want to come to your school. And now there's a lot of states that you can go wherever you want to academically, et cetera. But generally it's a local thing. When you're at the University of West Florida, you're re you start recruiting the state of Florida or maybe a neighboring state. Uh, and when you're at the College of Charleston, you start coaching a re or excuse me, recruiting a region and maybe even mm -hmm. beyond. Uh, and, and at the bigger schools, you recruit the whole country. And so it's, it just, it takes on more layers. And of course, I think you have a little bit more responsibility, you know, um, now again, coming full circle and being a high school coach again, you know, we, it, I feel like a grandparent, you get the kid, the kids back at night, you know, you, you say, okay, I've had you for a couple hours during the day as a college coach, you really are an extension of their family. Mm. Uh, you, you talk, at least I did when I was talking to parents, I felt responsible. Like I gotta make sure he does. Okay. Right. Cause they're kind of, you realize they're turning this young man over to you and you want a good environment. You want him to do well academically. You want him to be a good person. You want to help in all those areas. So you just take on a whole lot more responsibility, uh, in your job to these young people that are in your, in your group, on your team, you become close to them and, you take on a personal investment in all of them. High school coaches should be invested, but I think they can, you know, depending on the coach, his or herself, they could be a little more distanced and be okay. You, you have that ability, but at the college level, it's all in. It's kind of an all or nothing proposition. And, and I sense. think it's good to be good. In this time out message, we got Rashad, Austin. Those, those, those schools that are connected with their feeder middle schools, um, you know, and, 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 and in the strength program and in the conditioning program, now they know what's expected when they get when, when they get to high school. Like, okay, I've been doing this in seventh grade. I know now, okay, I'm going to have to be here. I'm going to have to make every weight, weight, weight session over the summer. I'm going to have to be there for conditioning. And then we roll in the two days, you know, we roll in the camp, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, 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 it's time to rock and roll, you know what I mean? So now you know what to expect. But now it's, it's certain schools that are connected. You know what I'm saying? You, so you you doing one thing at middle school, you may not lift, may not be lifting no weights, right. right? You may not be lifting no weights. You know what I'm saying? And you 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 go from you know what I'm saying that to you know what I'm saying now. Oh, we expect you to be here every morning during the summer, five days a week. We expect you to you know what I'm saying to to make every every weight lifting. You know, we expect you to um, be on time for practice. We expect you to do this, do that. You know what I mean? Now it's like okay. I never had to do that before now. I don't know if I want to give up my summer now. I don't know if I'm willing to do that. I'm used to going on trips all summer. I'm used to sure. hanging out all summer. You know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm not used to this. You know what I'm saying? So so now it's like, is it worth it to me? Now let's get back to the interview. So, you know, you know, having being experienced. Uh, as an assistant coach and a head coach, like you said, head, you know, what's the, as I ask coaches this all the time, what is the job of the assistant coach, right? Because the, the head coach, 
you know, have interest in, into bringing you on, but I guess depending on their relationship, depending on their approach, sometimes you don't want to outshine them, but you want to have them support as well. Talk about that and, and, and what's, the, what's the role of the assistant coach and, and what you, how you see it from your assistant coaches versus you being an assistant, you know, frame that for me, please. That, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I think the best people I've ever worked around, especially head coaches, were not afraid to have talented people around them. And I always tried to be that way too. Uh, the best example for me is when I, I went to Southeastern Louisiana University, my, my lone division one head coaching job, I inherited an assistant coach who was there who had also gone for the job, but his name was Roman Banks. And Roman was a, was a great player and had been a fairly successful assistant. He didn't get the job. So right away, we had to, to talk and make sure we were on the same page. Well, what I came to find out was Roman was a, was a beautiful person and became a very close friend. And Roman was really, really good. He was with me for five years and then became the head coach at Southern University. Had a great run, went to a couple of NCAA tournaments. Now is the athletic director at Southern University. So you can see... He was a dynamic person, had very good abilities, um, and was a very good coach. He may have done very well if he had gotten a Southeastern job instead of me, but we were able to become close and collaborate. We, we loved and trusted each other, and I wasn't afraid of that. I needed his abilities, and what's funny is the last four years without him, we we took, there were a lot of factors going on, but without his experience and know-how, we dropped off a little in recruiting. And just that little bit keeps you in fourth and fifth place and doesn't allow you to get in the hunt every year. Mm. And so, and I felt like John Cress always gave me, you know, as I grew and got a little older very quickly, he said, I trust you to do the scanning reports. I trust you. I, I don't worry about you doing this. And, and as I was there for six years, he he turned a lot over to me. And, and I, I tried to respond to that as an assistant, you, you, you know, you try to figure out what the head coach's vision is and you try to support that with loyalty and you do everything you can to be there. And on, at the same time, you're also trying, you, you have the ability to go to the player if he's struggling a little bit and, and wondering why am I not starting right now? I was, and you said, well, I think here's why. And maybe the head coach didn't talk to him very long about it, but you get to go in there and say, this is really what coach wants. It's not because of this. And so you're, you're loyal, you're part of the vision. It's a whole lot easier to be part of that vision when you've got a really good person you're working for, working with. Sure. And, and I was lucky with coach Crest to be in that position. So I just think, don't be afraid of talented people. If you're in charge, you need those people. And, and, you know, guess what? If, if they end up not being, uh, uh, good to you in return so what it's like saying i'm not going to fall in love anymore because someone broke up with me once well you got to keep going on with life i want talented people around me and i hope i will be loyal to them and, and earn their trust and and they'll do the same likewise and that's the best way i think to approach it and um <clears throat> you know when we first got on i made a little joke about you know not letting you beat me on on this you know on this meeting and i was joking but i was really serious because you know, that's what Coach Crest instilled in us, right? We had to be, you know, places at 1013, 1017, 1022. <laughs> How are you going to be late for 1022? And <laughs> it builds character and it makes you think about the promptness and being on time because he has so much talent. He was trying to find the smallest little thing to try mm. to give somebody else the edge because we were all equal. Yes. Um, 
what what do you give me two things that you you've learned from Coach Crestile and how did you apply it to 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 your career, your coaching style? Well, um, two things that pop out in my head, and I could probably think of a, a different one, but uh, first one is be organized. Always be organized, even when things and it served me well through a couple of tough seasons at Southeastern we had some injuries or something was going on and I just said, okay, what can I focus on? It was every day, be prepared, be organized, have a great practice. Don't lose, stay on course. Don't change or pull back or change yourself, be organized. And, and um, I think if you do that at the college level, you can keep the recruiting thing going. You can keep the daily progress going. You can keep the academics going. And somehow you'll ride out the tough time and you'll always give the appearance that you're competent and your program is being run correctly. Um, and you know what? So some things didn't work out at the end at Southeastern, but our kids were still graduating. Our kids were still good people on campus. So we were doing what we needed to do. The wins and losses are subjective sometimes. I think being organized every day and really knowing what you want to do in the various areas to be a good coach. The other one that was really interesting to me was it's a little thing, but and and I loved it. It was a great challenge, sort of like what you were talking about. You get these things from him. He would never let a coach do the scattering report with notes. We when we did the scattering, I don't know if you guys ever noticed that, but I would look at my stuff the one last time. I'd stick it in the back of my pants mm. and I'd go through the thing because I and I would and I again being organized, I'd study it ad nauseum before we actually got to the floor. And I could do a lot of it from almost all of it from memory. And then at the end, I'd say, coach, is there anything else you'd want to add in case he I'd missed a point? He could add something, but he was very good about it. He trusted me, but he said no notes. And I think he had learned that way back that if I'm slowing down, looking at notes, it doesn't instill confidence in the players that we know what we're talking about. And I found that fascinating and I love the challenge. And I kind of passed it on to my assistant coaches. And I always did that as well later on when I gave it no matter what. And um, just little things like that, like you said, to make you better, make you in con control or charge of the information, instilling confidence in the players, little things that make it all work. And, that, and that's, that's amazing because when you have that <clears throat> situation, yes, you got to really study. You got to take time and know right. your material because, yeah, if you got notes, you can look at it and then just because we're we got a wealth of knowledge of the sport. We can actually can ad lib a little bit, but when you don't have those notes, right? You got to know your material. Yep. So I want to take a little bit um, time just go a little, little, little personal thing, you know, especially in that in that time frame where I just felt like like Coach Crest made me work for every little thing all the time, right? And at first I, I took it as well, maybe this guy doesn't like me, but it, it wasn't a fact. It was that wasn't a fact. And this goes into my question about relationships, right? Because he knew that he could, he knew that I didn't have a button that he knew that he can push me to the to the limit and I would perform because that's I was that's my love language. I, I love to be challenged. But I think re the receptive approach was that was, well, I'm comparing myself to other players and what other players are getting, and I'm not getting well, maybe other players can can handle the stuff that he was giving me, right? Yeah. So it goes to the point where I'm asking you about how important is relationships when it comes to coaches and players. And you made a good point about, yeah, as a head coach, he couldn't do those things. He can come say, Jamel, this is the, this is the layout plan I got for you, bud. Because yeah. then it would, it wouldn't, I wouldn't perform. So 
assistant coaches, Dwayne Grace, yourself, those who type of play, the coaches that come and we can have those conversations with. So, you know, uh, give me a little feedback on how important is relationships, you know, when it comes to coaches and players. Oh, I, I think I've learned and I wish I had really embraced it. You know, not that I purposely didn't embrace it. I didn't think I understood it till many years later. And now they're, they're everything. They're everything. I, I think for me, the gift of these last six or seven years at the high school level again here in Orlando, Florida, is the ability to reconnect with these young people and their families. And I really enjoy that. And then, you know, talking about going way back to one of your first questions, when you're a college coach, you're stretched so thin to make so many groups in the community on campus happy and you're being in front of things and you're preparing for games. You lose that personal touch with your players. Mm. Very difficult to continue to stay on top of. And so you maybe you find a way to have quick conversations or talk to them about their studies. And that's the way you're trying to connect. But like you said, everybody's a little different. Some that's perfect. Others, they need a little more. And, and every once in a while, I would have a young man who really had issues and that would bring us closer. And I would help him through that particular time. And, and others seem self-sufficient or they went to their families. And, and so, but being back at the high school level, I've learned that these relationships are everything. And, to care about each other and to slow down and have that. Uh, and I think today's head coach, you know, you're talking about a whole different generation of coach, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, what you could say to somebody in practice and what you could do. And we all grew up, we were treated by our coaches or parents, whatever, a certain way, there were expectations, you know, but, you know, Coach Crest came from, you know, it was kind of a tough minded school. And I think the thing that defined Charleston at that time, and you were very much a part of it, and that identity, and the thing he loved about you, for sure, was your toughness and your resiliency. Nothing bothered you, and you would come right back, and I think we had a number of guys who could could handle that, and, and we had tough practices, and we pushed hard, but I, again, I think at least collectively, our staff and um, coach, we I think everybody knew we, we cared, but I, that relationship with players so that they can be pushed to the brink or they do understand what we're doing and why it's it's everything it's not the it, the x's and o's are important organizations sure, are important. Sure. you can hear me talk but i'm glad you brought it up i've kind of always delved into i'll be i'll be so good in x's and o's my players will know i know what i'm doing and they'll care and that's and i thought i would help that would make them confident and it did to a little bit but it's you better make sure you have that personal connection to close it out or there'll be a little gap and it doesn't take much to fill that gap with negativity and then you're in a bad place. That's a good point. And, um, you know, and you see, you talk, you started out with the AU program. So here you, you started off working with the AU program as an affiliate, and then you got into coaching. Now it's, it seems like the AU program, the whole summer schedule kind of summer program kind of, that's where coaches get their, their players from to see what's going on. What changes have you seen since we first got into the game into now? Because my question is, where you talked about the coaches having, you know, limitations of what they can do and what they can say. Did you, do you think the culture of the kids um, kind of created that softness from the coaches? I won't say a softness from the coaches, but at the same time, yes, you can be hard when you have a great relationship with the kid, but I think co collectively, it has to be, you know, one standard through all your players. And I think that's really kind of 
taken back because of I can honestly say the softness and the players. We talk, I talked to a young lady about the dopamine that comes from video games playing, right? And outside, we get on the court, we got that from the challenge and the being aggressive on, on the court. And that's not there as much. So where are they getting that? So when that's challenged or when that's targeted, it becomes a problem. Then it's where the coach talked to me a different way. And it's so I, I just want to get your, your, your take on that. Hey, what's up, guys? Check this out. If you're coming into the Charleston area, or maybe leaving at the Charleston area, and you want to avoid long lines and be greeted by friendly, sweet people, go check out Mark over at Avis and Budget Car Rental at 7685 Northwoods Boulevard. When you go see Mark and you mention Triple Threat Podcasts, you receive 30% discount on your rental. They also offer compact to large SUVs and vans to rent with quick, easy transaction and check us out and limited mileage on most rentals. So give Mark a call at 843-572-3190. Don't forget to mention Triple Threat Podcast. That's a that's a broad. That's a great topic and so big. Um, I, I think you brought up a, a good point. I think we were okay. It was allowed for us to be uh, aggressive and and you know we we have behavior expectations now. The expectation meter has changed. I'm not sure kids are are not tough. I'm I think they're they're not prepared for when they get challenged and and um, you know. It, and, and I, you brought up another good point. So there's so many good ones, but I think there, the standard changes a lot. And so it's human nature to go where it's comfortable. Sometimes mm. you may have a coach, you know, we have like this holy trinity of basketball training. Now you have a, an individual trainer, which is really important because a person needs reps and you need a, you know, you may not be able to go out to by yourself and you may not, you can only take yourself so far. Then you have an AAU team, which gives you off-season uh, games, not much practice, but a little bit, but they do some basic things, but you play a lot. But if you're on a good team, you get exposure. The wild card is your high school team. If your high school team has a good program and a good coach, they're going to teach you about the team game being something bigger than yourself, hard work, selflessness, and they can all work together, but all of those three things could be giving different messages. Mm. And so the young person goes, well, I've been told I'm really skilled or I'm really good. And yet my high school coach is telling me, you got to work harder. You're not defending or you're not, you're, 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 the ball's dying in your hands. Keep it moving to the next open person. Or, and that's just in conflict. And so all of a sudden it's easy, I think, for young people to say, well, you know, this this is not right, or this is, and I, I think if we had a consistent standard, and that's the hard part of, you know, give everything you've got, max out, and and uh, can, it's, you're important, but you're not the most important thing. I, somewhere in all of that, I think is, is what's keeping young people from always, like you said, maybe getting that same adrenaline rush or pushing themselves because maybe it's a little more comfortable over here, 
And uh, we wanted to be challenged and we expected to be challenged. And, you know, the way we grew up, you walked out your front door, you might get challenged outside going to school. Uh, now we've kind of protected ourselves a lot, not always, but a lot. And I think as a coach, the modern coach today is looking for a young person who may be resilient, mentally tough, physically tough. That's a big, important piece uh, because sometimes a young person gets into a program and they're overwhelmed by just how intense it is and how much of a commitment it is. But your question is a great one, but I think there's just so many little right. changes that have happened. It's hard to find one line that connects it all together. I think it's many things. I right. think you're, you're right in your question. There's many things. Right. So, and, and that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> you being a, a, a head coach and first coming up as an assistant, what are some key things you look you looked for, um, let's say, in you know, a, 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 a former collegiate player that looking that's looking to get in the game as an assistant coach. What would be your um, your message? What would be your direction? You would tell them, you know, and all and all to prepare that package, right? You got as, as a package that they got to present. What did what, what, how that what that look like? Well, I I, I you know I, I think there's a certain window of time. Uh, in your 20s, let's say, maybe even into your early 30s, where you, what I like to call, you have to pay your dues. Uh, you know, if, if some people want to get a window office on the corner and have a view and they've arrived and all that, but this business, in order to, to make it, I think you have to be willing to make a few moves. You have to be willing to take a, a couple of jobs that, you know, you're not going to, unless now, if you're at a really good high level, and you have those connections, you may find yourself, uh, you know, connected and talented, and you might get there a little faster. Uh, everybody's on a different timeline, but if you're just an, a regular person who is, loves it and wants to, to get involved, I think, you know, during, while you're paying your dues, learn to be a coach, learn to be a teacher. You know, John Wooden was a great teacher and he always called himself that. And I think all of us, Coach Cress was a great teacher. And um, so whatever it is you do, it doesn't have to be complicated, but make sure you have, know all the nuances that you can communicate it well. And you have the, the classroom is your court, the court is your classroom. Be able to, to explain to your students what you want and, and help them give them directives, expectations, humor, uh, pushing at the right time, have a good, quick, organized practice, teach them the fundamentals and have that piece. Then I think there's, an organizational piece, like you got to know the rules, uh, the compliance part of it, get up to speed, go to the NCA website. And then the third and probably as important as anything, do you know people in the business? Do you have contacts to recruit, even if it's just locally, uh, with junior college coaches, high school coaches, AAU coaches? And do you have the kind of personality where you can get to know people and, and, uh, and, and introduce and talk about what you love and be passionate about it? That takes time to kind of do all of those things. I, I, I became a high school coach, uh, assistant and varsity assistant and associate head coach. We had great success. I learned a lot there simultaneously. I did the AAU piece. I learned a lot there. I got to make contacts because we had kids getting recruited from both areas. And by the time I was about 29 or 30, I finally got my first break as a division two assistant who was going to a brand new program that didn't exist. And I got paid $8,000 a year. 
Now that was a long time ago, but that still wasn't very much money even then. Right. Um, and so then I came to College of Charleston and the third spot was a restricted earnings spot and we didn't even pay a full amount. I made $7,000 my my, my, that year and then $7,500 the next year before I finally got a full-time spot. Um, and I was willing to do that to get to where I wanted to go. So I went to from high school and AAU to a, a, a low level division two that was just starting up. But because I had a little bit of contact with coach Cress and we had a shared Rusty Palmer experience, he saw me on the road, he had an opening, the timing was right. And I said, sure, I'll do it. I'll do it for almost maybe nothing. And I was like the starving artist, you just kind of go and do what you have to. And then the break comes and then my association with such a good program, with such good players, turned into an opportunity to be a college head coach at Valdosta State. So I think you just have to say between 25 and 35, if this is something in anything you want to do, be prepared to do whatever it takes and throw yourself into it if, you're, if you really love it. And then it, I think with hard work and a little bit of time, it will, you'll, get, you'll reinvent yourself to the place you want to be. I know you had great success at Valdosta, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep. And I'll let you talk about that from your bio, but I have a question that I want to, a topic that I want to discuss, and it's it's one of the most important pieces when it comes from our student athletes, but it's one of the most difficult situations to deal with, depending on what level you are. If you're a college coach, you pretty don't much deal with this situation, probably ever. Because you know now they got portals where kids can transfer, but but during the high school level, you deal with these parents all day every day, and I, I tell parents all the time when I was coaching high school, look, I can only work what you bring to me, right? Yeah. So when I tell prevention versus treatment, if you if your kid is in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, then get them the proper training and proper support. Because once they cross that threshold in ninth grade, there's no more help you can do. There's, I mean, you can build, you can grow, but you can't expect to get something when you didn't put the time into, right? So, and, and, I, and I know a lot of high school coaches, just coaches in general, deal with that because it's a tough thing to deal with because it's all about relationships as, as well, too. So to some of the high school coaches out there, what are some of your approaches on how you deal with um, some, some, some parent conversations or whatnot, you know, when it comes to coaching. It's the most difficult thing that we deal with at this level, for sure. Um, a private school, they feel like they're paying customers and they have more of a, a access to you. A public school, you, I, I think there, I don't think there's really any difference. It doesn't matter what setting you're in. Um, you know, 5% of young people going from middle school to high school will play on a varsity team. And that doesn't mean they won't make the freshman or the JV, but only 5% of the kids coming out of middle school will play on a varsity team. And then we know an even smaller percentage will go to college or the NBA or wherever. So, but when parents are paying to improve, in some cases, they, they, it's like a return on investment. They're hoping that they get results out of that versus just trying to help their young person get their child get better, and hopefully perform in the sport that they love. They're hoping for a scholarship or something bigger. And so again, I, I use the phrase managing expectations. It's really difficult. So 
you know, you can be really good in your tryouts. I, I would say this, the one thing I would do with any coach is I would have a well-documented tryout. Um, I, I, I would take notes on each kid. I would have um, three days of tryouts. I would even put a numerical score. I would find categories like uh, subjective things like um, you know, hustle, conditioning, you know, uh, the ability to shoot. I'd find categories, every size, athleticism, quickness, and I would rate them. And I would, you, you, can, you can't do it just like that, but I would have information to back up your tryout process, your evaluation process. And then as best you can educate your parents that your, your young person's always being evaluated. And you know that as a college athlete. Every day we talked about our team, who was doing well, where were we at? Each week we were trying to evaluate who's growing, who's developing, who needs a little bit more of this. And so, and, and then the other thing is don't put yourself on the same timeline as, as somebody else. You could get there, but, but what you're talking about, they're not going to be there in the ninth grade. One or two of them might be, but boy, by their senior year, if they kept coming and they kept listening and they kept working, you know, it's a four-year timeline and we want results in the ninth and 10th grade sometimes, and it just doesn't happen. In this timeout message, we got Aaron Lucas. It's kind of like what you mentioned earlier about being comfortable. And so my comfort zone was was obviously um, hooping in Columbia. And really, the, the thing that was even more troubling then is my summers were always in Charleston. Hmm. So summer school in the middle of nowhere versus being in the city with my family and, and you know, kicking it, going to the park here and there, doing, watching midnight hoops sure. late at night. All of that's taken away. My grandfather passes that same summer, and it was just like, mm. nah, right. this ain't this ain't it. Right. Like this is, you know, this is not what I want to do. Now let's get back to the interview. We have a young man here who we cut as a freshman. Uh, he made it as a sophomore this year. He's grown to six, seven. And at the last third of the season, he started on the JV. He's kind of a quiet kid, a different personality. But if you get to know him, he's quite wonderful. He's just very quiet and off on his own. And you're not sure if he's engaged. He's totally engaged. Well, by the end of this, by the middle of this summer at team camps, he was starting for us. Mm. We caught him as a freshman. Mm. And um, so it, it, it can happen and everybody's on their own timeline. And um <clears throat> Try to compare yourself by running their race, run your race and just keep getting better. If you're a freshman or a JV team person as a freshman or a sophomore, okay. Best recruit I ever had at Southeastern. We played 11th grade, JV basketball as an 11th grader. It was a six, seven senior who was really, I really loved. I, we were the only school to offer him. He, by his senior year, he was six, nine and a quarter had worked all summer in Houston, Texas with a buddy and worked nonstop. He, kind of like so many of you guys did in the summertime, the Anthony Johnson's coming back with the other guys and working. And he had done that same formula and he's all conference player. He goes to 14 NBA mini camps. He goes to the Houston Rockets camp, gets cut, plays in the G league, wins a, a title with the Vipers, played JV as an 11th grader. 
Wow. So it's, it, it, it's, do you love it? I mean, the best one, the most, the, the young man from Ohio University, the, the junior point guard who was here at Boone High School in Orlando and nobody offered him. He was working at Public Supermarket. He was going to go to UCF. Wow. And somebody talked him into going to an academy for one year and he went and gets recruited by Ohio University. Now he's actually keeping his name in the draft because he's played so well. He'll probably get drafted at the end of this month and was a kind of a superstar. I think they they beat Virginia in the first round of the NCAA tournament or something. Wow. And this, this had no offer. So don't give up or don't have high expectations. Work for it. And, and that all of what we're talking about is how do you educate your parents and keep them focused on the most important things and help them to understand expectations and let us do our job. And as best you can, you try to establish trust and you'll still have people who are unhappy because you're dealing with their children. And, you know, I like to tell people, I heard this great analogy many years ago. Let's say you've got JV team and varsity team. You have 25, 28 players. You have 12 to 14 kids on both teams. Well, those parents think their kids are at least worth a million dollars, at least. So you're managing a $28 million portfolio. Hmm. So if you're managing that portfolio, do you think your customers would be worried about their investment? You bet they would. Hmm. So we just have to kind of put it in perspective and then and, and be patient. And it's not always easy, but because um, that's just the way the world has turned to look at everything, where everything's kind of under scrutiny and everything's kind of public and we, we do the best that we can, but it's uh, the transfer portal, which you started this question with. That's a whole nother right. thing. Right. But I, I wish everybody luck on that. Cause I think that's the, the most, and if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll drive high school sports out of the high schools and right into the private sector. And it'll all be training uh, at these better places. There'll be ver IMG on down. There'll be the big, big ones, the middle sized ones and the local small ones. And that's how we'll do our sports because people and the administrations will just get tired of it. I hope that. And, and I want to just, you know, talk to the parents, you know, just two things I want them to understand. One is you have to trust the coach, right? That's, that's one. Second, talking to Earl Grant, you know, who just took the job over at, um, over at um, Boston, College. Boston College. And I interviewed him. And one thing he said, he was like, when I look down at the bench, I don't look for talent. I look who I who who can I depend on? Mm -hmm. Who can I depend on, right? So parents, I'm telling you this, at a high school level, you can't have it both ways. You can't have little Johnny expectation out of the building, but then you wanna go to grandma's on Easter, on Thanksgiving break and Christmas break. Right. You, 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 can't, you can't do that. You, you can't say, okay, cause that's what sacrifice is all about. And I tell players all the time, is 12 players on this high school team. It's 40,000 kids in the school. You're special because you're one of those 12. So that's, that means you got to do special things. Something different. You got to make, you got to make, if, if, if little John, if, if other, uh, your sisters and brothers going on vacation on Christmas break, stay with a neighbor, stay, you have to be in practice. You have to make that sacrifice. Otherwise you can't come back because you either miss a play and as a coach, I'm not gonna put you in the game because I can't depend on you because you missed the special plays that you wouldn't hear. So parents, think about those things when, you, when you're talking about just approaching your coach about mad about playing time is you have to be well invested just as much as the coach and the kid. And we talked about that a little earlier, the commitment 
is I think that the commitment and understanding what commitment really is might be the difference between young people today being quote tough or soft versus that the, it was very clear um, what the commitment was expected and that you, you what you had could be taken away from you very quickly um, and playing time and things like that be committed all in and and, and uh, that's a great point it's a very good point so I want you to talk about your experience, your time, your career at Valdosta, because, you know, as I read in your, in your bio, you know, they haven't been to postseason in what, 23 years or something like that? Not been um, a long time. Talk about that and, and your approach in taking that program to where you took it. I mean, did you apply all the things you've learned and coming up from AAU assistant coach, head coach, and, you know, frame that for me. Tell, tell the audience about that. Everything, you know, I, I guess you learn some communication styles and you, you, from all your different people along the way, your experiences with players, you get comfortable and then you learn from the person you worked with here and then from there and you learn a little more about the business. But essentially the blueprint for success came directly from what we did at Charleston. And I, I, I mean, I mean, I was smart enough to realize, wow, okay. It was, for me, it was like getting a PhD in coaching. Uh, because of the level of the detail of organization and all the things that were expected in our meetings and how we conducted, you know, and as you know, Coach Cress had been a, a professional experience at St. John's and, and he had a, a, a thirst for wanting to be better all the time. So he didn't get complacent ever. He was driven to be better all the time. And um, I, I took all of that and I, I was very wise in this one regard. No one really knew much about Valdosta. They didn't have high expectations there. The league they were in, the Gulf South Conference in that East Division just kind of saw them in a certain way. And I took this very dynamic a way of doing things and, and how to play on offense and certainly how to play on defense. And we came into the league and a couple of people saw it right away, even though it took me about half of that first year to get what was remaining. I brought in a bunch of new players because there wasn't much left over. They finally started to understand it in the last six or seven games. Well, then with just another recruit or two, that second year, it just took off. It just exploded. And, you know, we went to, we went to the sweet 16 of the national tournament. We were runner up at our own conference tournament. We lost by three to West Georgia who had dominated for years. And they had two kids who had transferred from Gonzaga and another who had point guard, Chesley Watson, who had transferred from Virginia. Mm. That was three of their starters. Mm. And so we lost to them in a tough game in the championship. And it was basically the same guys I had inherited with a few young ones that we had brought in. But the system, the style, the hard-nosed defense in particular, the culture and the identity that we had that I simply said, yeah, this is ours. We're going to use it. And, you know, everything from checking classes to, you know, we're, we're going to have a conditioning, we're going to have out of season stuff, but in, you know, we're, it, it all just clicked very, very, it had nowhere to go, but up and it did. And um, that style took that level and that conference, it just took them by storm and, and we had great success. And then we, we were, we recruited some very good players along the way. Also, we got some, D1 kids that had no offers and they came to D2. Now today, uh, I realized they would transfer very quickly. I mean, we Mike Crane, 
should have gone division one. And he spent his four years at Valdosta. We, I got him on some, I just walked into a gym cause I had nowhere else to go. And I found this young man. It literally, that's literally a true story. He scored 2,500 points for us mm. and played over in Europe for a couple of years. He would have gone to Chattanooga at least maybe higher. Uh, he would have been a Southern conference or a better player. He was a really good scorer and athlete at six, two as a guard, really, really talented. But at that point in time, adding a lot of those high school kids that weren't making it or, or were getting overlooked and we were hustling all over the place. It all just took off and it was a great, great five-year run. And um, you mentioned coach that, you know, coming up in, in, in your uh, rec areas, rec, uh, you really didn't have no programs coming up. You were little, you had to, you know, someone that, that coach or whatever came and uh, gave you some aid. What do you tell the players that's in that intermediate level, our parents per se, from that fourth to eighth grade? What should they be doing at this time? And then being a high school coach, what they need, need to do to sustain that level of uh, performance to get to the collegiate level? And, <clears throat> and then being a collegiate head coach, what do you need to do in order to sustain you know, playing time and being perfect, uh, uh, have progress in the collegiate level? I know it's a long, you know, but that's the whole thing of building that total athlete and the preparation and getting them to that level. I think at each stage along the way, I think it's good. I would suggest that you have a review of your commitment level. I mean, I think I would, as a parent, because you're their guide to begin with, or maybe their AAU coach, have an honest conversation. And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. We had a great June with our team. We had several teams playing, young guys, old guys. And I, at the end, I said, thank you for a great month. I said, gentlemen, don't forget, this does not mean you're on the team next year. We all have to try out again. Wow. This is merit-based wow. and I, you have to earn your keep around here. And I, I, I have to say that, and I want to say that for two reasons. One, I, I want to make sure people feel like if I want to try out, I have a chance to try out. It's not already predetermined. And two, if I don't say that, my best players won't work hard and stay hungry. And so I, I, just as an example, I think it's important to have a candid conversation with your child and say, do you really want to keep playing or do you like being around your buddies? I, but either is fine, but let's just be real and honest. And you'll be surprised how many kids will say, I just played because I really enjoyed my teammates and I felt like they needed me. And when I was done, I was happy to be done. Um, and it was, that's fine. So first make sure of your commitment level, because as you, you so correctly pointed out when you become a high school athlete your vacation time family has to change you can't go away at christmas anymore and if you want to do basketball you're in both semesters so you're gonna to have to change that family trip or you're gonna to have to make arrangements and if you're going to be a college athlete that commitment level is going to be off the charts and they've got you 24 7 most of the year you're going to be training a lot and and you're going to be asked to get better all the time. It's a commitment and, and it's wonderful. And, but it's, there's also a benefit to it. If you're a high school athlete, for sure, but really if you're a college athlete, later on in life, when you go to be professional in something else, you can point to that yes. and say, listen, I've been part of a team. I know what it needs, it needs to, what it means to be a leader. And as a college athlete, for sure, you've been asked a lot. Like you said, you don't get to miss class. You don't get to lay around for two weeks without going to a class or you're doing, you are constantly, there's a demand on you. And, but that's going to help you later on in a variety of ways. 
So from a, from a skill development standpoint, you know, I think you, it, 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 you're going to be, you better be able to shoot that basketball. <laughs> First thing, if there are two easy answers, form and fitness. You better be able to shoot the ball well or, or to have a good mechanics to get it better with repetition and time. And you better be in good shape. Uh, and, and, and you don't ask to come out. And I think if you do those two things, you'll learn the other parts. Uh, I, I had a young player approach me and he's a great shooter and he wants to be a college player. And he and his mom just talked to me and they wanted to know what they could do. And, and you know, mom's showing me clips and, and he's showing me this clip and he's knocking down some walk-in threes against this team. And I stopped and I said, tell me what that team's doing defensively. I said, not what they're in. What are they, how are they playing? He looked at it and he looked at it and he said, they're not playing very well. I said, no, they're not guarding anybody. They're just running back and looking around. I said, what are you going to do against this team? And I use one of the local high schools. That's really tough. We've had some wars with them and they're usually much better than us, but we've had a little success. What are you going to do when they're guarding you? Can you do that when this guy's on you? So getting them to understand there's an intensity level doing it against the best people and performing well when it's, when you're uncomfortable getting comfortable in the uncomfortable. I just think reminding them of reality as much as you can without making it harsh and checking their commitment level. And then you just have to, they, they have to love it. They have to be very self-motivated and you've been around it long enough. And certainly I have, you see those guys that have that, that are, that have some level of hunger and you go, okay, they're going to be all right. Sure. And others, they sort of want to do it, but some of them do it a little, some don't do it very much and, and they'll stay about the same. And, and then when you become a college athlete, you know, I think strength and conditioning are big and yet being smart enough, there's a whole new, uh, I think good college programs now are also looking about not overtraining. One of my former players here is at Virginia tech and he got tendonitis so bad that they've given him six weeks off. They're regenerating his blood cells and re-injecting it to get it in a better place. I mean, so you can wear yourself out. You have to be careful of that. It's, it's, it's a real whole athletic balance, but training well, understanding the game, which you mentioned earlier, film study, um, having that mentality all in, all in. And uh, it's sort of hard to be all in when you're worried or you don't trust the situation you're in. And I think that's a constant battle for every program right now with some players that could get better. Right. And I've heard coaches, I've heard some, uh, who's a coach at Missouri that I like so much. Um, oh gosh. He was talking about when he got recruited in college, he his, you know, his mom wasn't going to let him transfer and he didn't play very much to begin with, but he, uh, Quanzo Martin. And he said, but eventually by my junior and senior year, I was playing, Right. but he would have transferred maybe earlier in today's world and not stuck through that and, and gotten better. So it's a very complicated question and I'm not sure of the exact answer, but hopefully those are some themes people could use to evaluate the situation. Definitely. He made a name for himself as a star for the College of Charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s. And now Jermel President is doing what he can to make sure that the Charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life. So I want to, you know, give some of that back to the community as well. Um, after college and after playing professionally, uh, I started the Day Foundation just to, to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and, and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jamel President said he saw a need for this. 
while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation. And his philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically teaches the game of basketball. Focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics. You know, in closing, Coach, um, we created something called an oatmeal recipe. Um, an oatmeal recipe, it's uh, skill development, education, and nutrition. And that can be used in all different types of life, corporate America, sports, what have you. And um, I want to give you your, your take on when we talk about those three ingredients. Um, for one, we talk about skill development, how important skill development is. And that can be also compared to not just um, you know, training on the court, it's about skill development off the court too, listening skills. What is, what is a, a, a good skill, you know, skill development um, that you've learned and you apply to your everyday life? Mm. Um, I love what you said just then listening. Uh, I, I, at the beginning of our camp day, just yesterday when we opened up our, kid, our little kids camp here, I play a game called Coach Y Says. It's like Simon Says. And I'll ask them, I'll say, okay, is everybody ready? Everybody's ready to play Coach Y says. And they kind of half, half of them say yes. And I'll just say, okay, now everybody move over one step so we can get started. And almost all of them move. And I say, you're all out. Mm. And because I was like, I didn't say Coach Y says, you said you were ready to play. And then I turn as they sit down, I go, when you're in a timeout and your coach is thinking you're going to be listening, are you? And listening is an important skill. One of my favorite parts that Stephen Covey many, many years ago wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Number five is seek to understand, then to be understood. It goes back to what you said, the, the ability to listen. We have public speaking classes, but we don't have public listening classes. Mm. And I think if we could understand each other a little better, or understand what the other person is trying to do, even if you don't agree with it, I, I think for me, I've tried, I probably haven't been uber successful, but tried to be a better listener, uh, tried to understand, you know, and it's really something when you are a parent, you're trying to hear them as they're getting older in particular to try to be a good parent, a good coach, and and hear the parents. Even when, you know, as you were saying, the parents may be really upset, but maybe they just don't understand, but you're trying to be empathetic. You say, okay, listen, let me explain. Right. And then maybe you can fix it because you've listened and you've, you've let them be heard. Listening is a, is an extraordinarily important life skill, I think, and um, and it keeps you from jumping to conclusions or going too quickly. Sometimes it slows you down, makes you think about things. So that would be certainly one I would hope I've applied a little bit. And um, the second one, coach, is you know education. Um, I tell players all the time, like when you're in a game and it's 17 fouls and you're shooting a three-point shot, it's not really a good IQ decision. You know, all recruiters, college coaches know that, you know, the ball's not always going to drop all the time. They know players are off, but we're looking at the type of shot you took when you took that shot in those situations, right? Whether it goes in or not, that just happens. So education is very important when it comes to the game of basketball, but just in life as well. Um, how important is education to you and how do you apply it to your everyday life? Oh, I, I, I think it's, um, it's really a love of learning. 
um, of what you do. I don't mean, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to learn geometry or algebra two anymore. I hated math. I was good at some things, but not math. But the things where your strengths are, let's say, the things you're supposedly passionate about, trying to understand them. And, and for, for me, I love context. I love the history. I want to know the why. Why did we get to this place? Well, what was College of Charleston like before I, I came there? Oh, wow. And who are these players? And why are they important to our legacy? Um, just, uh, just talking. But I just think um, you should want to be excited about knowing what you're doing. I, I, you know, I, take time out to get away from all the peripheral stuff around us that preoccupies us and spend time. I, I, I know one thing that I, I learned from Kevin Eastman, and there's a lot of these mentors and former coaches, and they talk about a variety of things and they have you know, stuff they do on Instagram and so forth. But I, I try, and I'm not good at it yet, but I try really hard to read an hour a day. And I'm constantly reading books, especially on human, not human behavior in some technical way, but you know, what, what is grit and what is the talent code and what is the difference? Those types of theme books and, and certainly leadership. I love John Thompson's book. I read it this summer. And the one thing I loved, I took away from it, you know, he, he's very strong in his thoughts and his opinions. And he had a life that covered a lot of history in this country at a particular time. And, but one thing he said, one of the things I always wanted my players to know was that they were someone other than a performer or an athlete. Mm. And I thought, God, I, I could not, that's, I believe the same thing. And I love that I could connect in it, reading that book and hearing his perspectives. And at least I know more about the world, about him and, and, and because I, I read. And so if you wanna know more about the game and situations, ask your coaches, listen to your coaches. When you're in film study, you know, if you're breaking down some film, try to pay attention and be a part of it. If you wanna know more uh, about what you're doing in school, you know, and some sometimes, and to be fair, because everybody's different, right. uh, just be a willing student. You know, don't be a reluctant student. Maybe that's where it begins because some young people might not, you know, I'm looking at the world through a 57 year old person's eyes but I've seen all of it from your eyes, but now I've gotten to hear, they're not quite maybe appreciating it. So I'll just keep it simple. Be a willing participant, be a willing student. And you know what, some of it's gonna stick. And the more willing you are, the more you'll get it and it'll feel better and your IQ will go up. And maybe your passion will increase too, so. That's a good point. And lastly, coaches, is nutrition. Um, I think that's the that's the, the one of the biggest thing is so important. You know, I go to these games and kids are, eating Skittles, drinking soda, pregame, you know, fried chicken. Um, I mean, it's greasy foods, ham sandwiches. And they don't understand that goes into, into their performance. Um, yeah. What's your take on nutrition and how 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 important it is to, to, to your life? Well, it's become really important in my life. And I'm not going to go deep into this, but you, I think you may or may not know that uh, a year ago, just over a year ago, I had to have two heart stents put in. And I'm a pretty healthy person and have worked out all my life. And, and, and I've had some periods of time when I was worked and stressed and I was a little overweight with by 15 pounds or so. But in the last seven years of my life, I've been very, very fit. But I had some things genetically going on that I wasn't aware of. And I'm fine. Thank God that intervention helped me very much. So I went from thinking I was eating pretty good to really eating well. Sure. And about 70% of the time being a vegetarian. 
some small healthy proteins, but not a lot, a lot of plant-based stuff. So I've taken it to a new level because I feel like I have to, but it's kind of given me some ideas about, you know, do we hydrate enough? And, you know, fruits and vegetables are important. And, and I know there's a, there's an economic component to that. And there's a speed and, and, um, ease. Uh, hey, we're got to go from this game to this game. We're all in the vans. Let's get pizzas. My gosh, how many times did we do that on bus trips home? You know, because you got to eat and you're starving and you're hungry. And But as coaches, maybe, as, you know, the AAU thing or high school coaches, as best we can, I think we should, because young people are resilient. But for those who are really serious about it too, what kind of suggestions are we giving to them? You know, here are some things to replenish your body a little faster. And certainly there are some, some good energy drinks and there are some things we can do like the chocolate milk thing after weightlifting and, you know, and, and some kids will struggle with it a little bit more than others, like we said, because of economics, but maybe there's some simple things like you know, apples and bananas and oranges and things like that, that at least can during the course of the day, maybe it's just something as simple as a multivitamin right. just to kind of help balance out some of the bad things we're putting in. And, and hopefully like anything, teaching them some lifelong ideas too. So as they get older, they take care of themselves because it's real easy to let yourself be stressed and not take care of yourself too. For sure. For sure. Well, coach, that kind of concludes our, our talk today, man. I, I really appreciate you. I, I appreciate the time we, we, you know, we hung out together, you coaching me and I learned a lot of great things from all my coaches, you, Grace, the whole nine. And uh, just appreciate you wanting to coach and being part of the, the special time we had at the college Charleston things we did. So I want you know, to say thank you for all that as well. Well, I appreciate you allowing me to just talk about some of the things that we've done and what we what we continue to do as coaches in this business to pass it on to the next generations and you know how special you are to me and to all the former players and we don't get to say those things enough but the hours we spent and the sacrifices you guys made and the the talent you brought the dedication it certainly made me a better person and helped me along the way. And, and I'm so lucky to have had those experiences with you guys all the way through. For sure, for sure. Well, I'll, I'll let you get back to doing what you love, coach. Appreciate yeah. you. And um, I hope we get to see each other sometime soon. I'll try to get up to Charleston. I, you know, it's easier said than done, but you know, I'd love to get back up there now that COVID's over. Maybe we can get together for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't have Facebook on my mobile, but I'll, I'll, I'll text my number, um, do a, uh, uh, Facebook, and then we'll, we'll link like that when you get in. Wonderful. All right. All right, Coach. Thanks. God bless. See you, Jamel. Yes, sir. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. I want to thank Coach Yarbrough for coming on and giving us that wealth of knowledge um, through his experiences, uh, being a player and then a coach as well. I want to thank you for that. Coming up next, we got Rashad Austin from the Goose Creek area. Uh, Rashad played on Team Day uh, basketball team and travel basketball and was co-captain during that time. A great leader, a great person, and uh, a knack to win and want to learn. And uh, so we wanted to talk to him and talk about his, his rise from the Charleston area to college and now being a colleg collegiate coach. All right, we'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes, first of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element 
to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program because these are the kind of things that every community needs, looking out for the best interest of the youth. The future of this country is in our youth, and everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful, and and I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing, and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President, and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. New York City.